I've had that conversation with many people through the years. It's fairly common, and that, but they have more shame about that than they do about their own sexual abuse because they, they could see, I didn't do this. But then they say, but I did that. Rather than seeing they were doing it because their parent told them to do it. And it's a very dark secret that they're carrying around. And the whole idea about perfectly hidden depression is that so many people have secrets that they're hiding and often hiding through this perfect looking life. You know, I will show everybody that I'm just fine rather than admitting I have this dark despair within me that I need to reveal uh, again with people that I trust. And therein lies my healing, not this picture perfect life. Welcome back to Experable. I'm your host, Krati Mehra. And in this show, we learn from the success and struggles of people we admire and dive deep into concepts that help us expand the possibilities available to us so we can freely, boldly design the life we desire, discover the depth and breadth of our capabilities, access the wisdom available in the world around us, and even on really bad days, love what we see in the mirror. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to Experable. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this episode, for being here and for sharing your time with me. If what is happening around the world right now is causing you a lot of anxiety, fear, uncertainty, I am really, really hoping that today's conversation will help. It is a difficult time for all of us, but um, especially for those who are being directly impacted by the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And sadly, the best I can do is offer up helpful content, which is what I'm trying to do with today's conversation. Uh, A little warning here, uh, this episode can be triggering for a lot of people because we discuss a variety of difficult subjects like terrorism, abuse, and suicide. But the intent was to help, so the information is very solution-focused. So hopefully, while some of it may be difficult to listen to, by the end of it, I'm hoping you'll walk away with something that will ease things for you and allow you to help others as well. Now, our guest expert for today's conversation is Dr. Margaret Rutherford, who is a clinical psychologist with 30 years of experience. She's also an author, TEDx speaker, and podcast host. Her book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, has been loved internationally, and it has been translated into several languages. The self-work podcast hosted by Dr. Margaret has been rated as one of the best podcasts for mental health and depression. With this conversation, Dr. Margaret helps us understand how we can cope during this period of uncertainty and support others as well, and how to handle stress caused by factors that are completely beyond our control. We talk about perfectly hidden depression, what it is, and how we can spot it in ourselves and others personal qualities that help us maintain a healthy mental space and what personality traits negatively impact our mental health, the best way to approach our mental health issues and how different forms of perfectionism impact our mental health and can potentially lead to a mental illness and what we can do to prevent it. And lastly, we talk about what social narratives may be hurting your mental health and how to better protect yourself and others. If you're ready, Here's my conversation with Dr. Margaret Rutherford. Thank you so much, Dr. Margaret, for being here. As I said, I am super thrilled that you're here and this conversation is happening at a really, really like the perfect time. I think people need conversations like these. 
uh, a lot more right now. So let me just start with how are you feeling? Oh gosh, thank you for having me. By the way, Crotty, it's an it's an honor and a privilege. And I don't know if I've I've done only one other Indian podcast that I can remember. So this is a thrill for me. So thank you. How am I being affected? I've, I'm following my own advice. <laughs> which is only to get my news from one source. So I've been looking at the New York Times articles every morning and trying to understand there was a really good synopsis of the history of the conflict with the countries that have been involved recently. So I, you know what, I, I have tried to limit, I want to be knowledgeable. I'm one of my best friends, her nationality is a Palestinian. And she, her father was Palestinian, her mother is American, and she's deeply affected. And I want to be there for her. I want to be there for my own patients who maybe, whether it's the Ukraine-Russia conflict, whether it's another conflict in the world, I want to be able to at least be educated enough to, to support them and try to understand what their feelings may be. However, just like we found out during the pandemic, when things so drastically change and there's a lot of trauma that w- that's unexpected and that we didn't understand and we didn't see it coming and then we can really get paralyzed and people either avoid it and just you know either they drink too much or they spend too much or they they're avoiding it they they don't want to deal with it or they just refuse to talk about it or whatever and then other people just dive right into it and want to know everything and keep their whether it's their TVs or their iPhones or their iPads or whatever it is and keep glued to it i i don't think either one of those responses is wise i think you have to be or it's much better to be knowledgeable so that your sense of all of this is happening and I don't know anything about it is eased, that you do feel like you at least have a grasp. And it's also to understand that when we see these videos, I mean, the people who are living this trauma, whatever side that you are, that you back or whatever, it's still horrible trauma for the people that are involved in any kind of personal way. And so that has to be reckoned with and understood and, and have compassion for. But also there have been studies that show that when we watch these videos and when we get glued to it, that it can, it can give us so much anxiety and so much panic. And, you know, what, are, what is going to happen in your own country? And it, it's, it, it, your general sense of, of vigilance is, is heightened. Like I've got to watch for everything. I can, you know, I need to stay home and be safe. So I just think you need to watch for your reactions or your friends' reactions, your loved ones' reactions that are sort of outside of the norm and make sure that they are doing the things that calm them whether that's exercise, whether that's contemplation or yoga or mindfulness or meditation or whatever it is to make sure getting out in nature, to make sure you're doing something to help calm your own soul and spirit. That's very helpful. I have to say, like we in our uh, home, I live with my parents and we in our house, we pray a lot. There's a lot of mantra chanting that happens in our house and sure. we're all practicing Hindu. So I am super spiritual and we like there's this general atmosphere and we have more festivals coming up. So we decided that we're going to like celebrate each and every one of them. 
So there are so many festivals in our religion that it's just not possible to celebrate all of them. But we decided because of what's mm-hmm. happening, we were like, this is creating a very positive environment. Let's keep going with it. Let's celebrate everything. Sure. And I was, in fact, planning to travel later in October to the city, which is super religious. So I was going to go there mm-hmm. by myself. My reaction to this conflict was, I told my parents, I'm not going alone. You two have to come with me. I'm going to book your flight and I'm going to make the arrangements. We're not getting separated right now. So I also had that very like paranoid reaction. And I just like, you know, dynamics change between parents and children when when a child becomes an adult. So now I get to call the shots and they kind of have to be like, okay, fine. (laughs) You can protect us. Well, it's interesting. (laughs) Well, good. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to be separated from those you love because of the uncertainty and you don't really know what's in it. That raises your awareness that my son is actually in Jordan right now and was supposed to be in Israel next week. So we are just lucky that he, he and his friends who are half Palestinian, half Jewish, uh, weren't there. Yeah. And so, because I don't know if they could have gotten out, but anyway, I, so, but my, my anxiety has been a little, I know Jordan is one of the much safer countries yeah. in that area. And so I'm not quote unquote worried, but my awareness is heightened for sure. And I think prayer is, of course, very important. There are many people who will turn to their faith to try to understand or at least try to tolerate what's going on. Yeah, because I don't know how else to handle all of this. Everything is like when the Ukraine-Russia conflict happened, I became part of these groups where we were trying to support each other. We were discussing things and that, that honestly didn't help because... After every discussion, the only fact that remains is that we can have all of these chats, but everything is so completely outside our control. Even if we were citizens right. of those countries, the government doesn't actually listen to its citizens. The government does what it feels mm-hmm. is necessary for them to do. The army does either what the government tells them to do or they follow their own lead, you know, whatever the system is in each country. Right. But everything is so right. completely beyond your control. At the same time, you also at least I find it difficult to get past what is happening. And and anytime I would be enjoying myself, having a good time, and I would just remember, oh, you know what, there are people right now who are just in so much pain and look at me having fun. But at the same time, I, I just, yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm reminded of my parents. My father served in World War II, and I can well imagine. And of course, this was, you know, I live in the United States. And so, you know, this was, we were very involved in that war and we were attacked by the Japanese and that kind of thing. And of course, 9-11 here was much more recently was a huge shock for the American people. And we all gathered very close together and tried to understand what was going on. But you're right. The, the the powers that be and and again I don't I'm not a politician nor do I particularly understand this but certainly there are factions that can control countries or parties that can control countries that do not necessarily um, reflect the, the beliefs and the general disposition of the, its people they just don't they will convince in great PR campaigns that they do but you know we hear otherwise so and that of course is one of the beauties of social media that if you can get, if you can reach it wherever you are, then you have a sense of what the outside world is saying and doing about your situation. And whether that's prayer, whether that's support, whether that's, you know, active support in the war, I mean, whatever it is. And so that at least is, you know, certainly I I know that in Ukraine, or I've heard that in Ukraine, 
people are using social media to try to understand what is the world getting about this and that kind of thing. Right. So, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. I mean, my, just yesterday I posted something on Instagram and I said something about, you know, I feel a little odd posting something that is supposed to maybe have a shred of hope that, that, that there are, there is goodness in people and maybe goodness in there. People are discovering in, in even this horrible, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I, it's unimaginable to me, but there's someone who's offering kindness. There's someone who's offering compassion. There's someone who's trying to help someone else. And we're not all filled with hatred and vengeance and, you know, not at all. So I do, I mean, sitting here in my air-conditioned home in the United States, well-fed, you know, not worried about where my next meal is coming from or who's going to knock on my door and pull me out of my house. You know, that's, it's, I feel kind of, you know, it, it feels a little bit pretentious for me to even say something like that. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Anytime you are offering advice on something, being a coach, I mean, you're a therapist. This is your like job and you, you kind of have to do it because you're so good at your job you can't not do it you have to be there for all these people who need you who rely on you I work as a coach and I have to talk to people who I know for a fact have been through things that I couldn't possibly even imagine and I have to offer them advice right. and whenever I do that there is this voice in my head that's like look at you lecturing this person who has been through so much more than you have ever in your life and just there's just the very awareness of your privilege and well Karate, I, I, the way I think about that is that it's not really I mean I've been a therapist for 30 years now and it's not really some of it is my own whatever little bit of wisdom I think we all have a little bit of wisdom but I really feel like I act as a conduit let's say someone's child has died I can't tell you how many people I've seen in 30 years who's who's had a child die. many what I think I offer the next person who walks in my office whose child has died is the experience or what I learned from the person before them and I'm a conduit between that person and what their experience was and what I, I learned from that in trying to help them is what I have to offer this other person. It's not necessarily, I mean, I've had people say, well, if you haven't had a child die, I don't want to talk to you. And that's certainly legitimate on their part. If they want to find a therapist that has had that experience, right. I totally understand. But it's also you can't sit and talk to people who've been through that kind of trauma and not learn something from it. And so, or at least try. And so that's, that's what I've hopefully with some humility, try to understand and, and talk to people about that. It's not that I've had the experience myself. It's that I've, I've been in the presence of such palpable sorrow and shock and trauma. I've worked with people who someone's tried to murder them. I mean, I, you know, it's just, it's, you're not, you're not in this business for long. If when, you know, that's, it's not common human experience for someone to have tried to murder you, but it's, it's there. So another way of thinking. That really helps me. That helps me. I worked as a volunteer and I couldn't be around women who had been sexually abused I, I couldn't do it I would start crying anytime I would hear their stories especially uh, women who had been going through something like that since childhood so had you know so much respect to you for being able to be in the presence of the, that much pain I am more I, I had to like 
moved to counseling, entrepreneurial, women with entrepreneurial aspirations. I was like, let me do this because that That's is, right. I used to break down and I was, I would think that this is just making things worse for them. They don't know whether to hold their own grief or hold mine. Well. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say that's wise on your part. I, When I got into graduate school, I was 33, and I did not have any children. And actually, I didn't plan to have any children at that point in my life. And I, my first rotation in graduate school was to work on a children's ward in a psychiatric hospital, a state psychiatric hospital. And these were children who, I mean, I ran a sexual abuse group for five-year-old little girls. Right. Five-year-olds five and six year olds. And so, but I, I couldn't work with them. I, I was too upset. I'd take it home. I, it was something I would get mad at the parents. I would, you know, I was very naive in my own understanding of what a therapist needed to do, but I didn't choose to work with children because of that. Now I gradually began working. I, I don't think I've ever worked with children, but I worked with teenagers and certainly I've worked with a lot of abuse, but you know, you grow in that, you grow in that way. And, yeah. and it's wise of you to know, you know, what I maybe can't do right now in my career until I'm more experienced or until I have special training of some kind. Yeah, yeah. I went the other way. I tried to understand the mindset of the people who perpetuate that kind of violence. And there was always so much pain on that end as well. So all it did was That's just right. make you so unbelievably angry because one person's pain does not justify that person causing another human being pain. So you, you're just right. left with so much mess, so much of a mess, and you just don't know what to do with it. It just makes you, you're still just as sad as you were before you went on this, what you would deem in your head an intellectual exploration of sorts, but at the end of it, nothing changes. You're just angry. I think the hardest thing for me about being a therapist has been a growing cynicism about, and certainly the wars that we're witnessing. And again, there are wars going on that aren't necessarily in the public eye as much, at least here in the United States, but what people can do to other people, especially parents, which is, you know, they're supposed to be sources of love and compassion and guidance. And so often they are not. And it is shocking to hear, and I won't give you examples because I don't want your listeners to walk away with some of the pictures I have in my head, but it is it is shocking and it is very, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, humans act very inhumanely. And we are seeing that obviously in the two wars that you know, most people are talking about the most right now. And that it's just the brutality and the, it is as if they have turned off any kind of compassion or empathy and, and they're truly acting in a sociopathic fashion where the, the, there are no rules that apply to their behavior. There are no morals, as our president said yesterday. And so it is, you know, I have, I have heard my own version of that in 30 years of doing therapy. And, but I also hear, thank the powers that be, whoever you believe the powers that be are, I also hear kindness and I also hear compassion and I also hear patience and I hear, you know, I hear things that, that balance that out, at least to a certain extent. Some days are harder than others, (laughs) frankly, about what I hear, but you know, we humans are very complicated and when we feel rigidly and strongly about something then unfortunately we can 
weaponize ourselves and do do very very cruel things to people who we believe need to do need to be punished whether that be our children or our neighbor or our you know whether whoever that is yeah yeah absolutely i i just have this one thing like i learned from reading bhagavad gita i don't know if you know about it it's it's like one of the major hindu texts it talks about karmic cycles like it believes in rebirth mm-hmm. so you keep reincarnating yes. on earth for as long as it takes for you to find liberation and the only way to find moksha liberation mm-hmm. is for you to only do good deeds in a birth and stay engaged in worship of god and like spiritually ascend mm-hmm. keep your karma super duper clean so i have been asking this one question since i was a kid and i would love to like share these two things like the one thing i would ask constantly is why do bad people get away with the things that they do and why do good people suffer and understanding the karmic cycle has helped me a little bit like you may think that they're getting away with it because you don't get to see what happens to them in the next life but they will pay for what they're doing in this birth if they're getting away with it if they're getting away with it in the next life they'll pay for it and those who are suffering in this life and they're good people in the next life they get to you know take birth in wonderful families get a like a whole bunch of love and then end that birth with liberation like being liberated and ascending to heaven or whatever higher plane you believe in so that kind of helped me the other thing i like to remind myself is when any time i get in this mental tirade that oh there are no good people left and i'm always think that are you saying you're the only good person like i <laughs> i believe myself <laughs> to be a good person i would always ask myself oh so you're saying you're the only good person left that's very arrogant so i remind myself if i am here doing something and i think i'm doing very little there have to be like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of other people like me who are doing what i am doing but also who are doing mm. way more than i'm doing and so that gives mm-hmm. me a lot of hope yeah, yeah. I don't know if that helps. Well, I, I'm I'm no religious scholar, so I, you know, but I, I've, I, of course, I know of that idea in Hinduism, and so I'm, I don't know. Sometimes I just, well, I hope that's true. <laughs> of course, I mean, it's not for everyone. That's why I shared like the second thing. I'm always wary of the like any time I think about sharing these religious ideas. I'm like, is this the right audience? But my audience, I think, now knows that. This is, these are things, things that I practice. So I'm like, if you're listening sure. to my podcast, you know, you can take what you like and you can leave what does not resonate with you. That's perfectly okay. Nobody's forcing anything here. When you force things is when you end up having conflict and <laughs> bad things happen. And, but I would love uh, to ask you, like, it's not just that, like, there is a war that's happening. We've gone through a pandemic. There is another war that's still ongoing there is also all of the shifts all of these shifts that are happening with the environment unexplainable events happening all around the world and then there's the weather uh, that's that's just not changing and it's getting hotter every day uh, instead of getting colder so just i would love for you to share some advice uh, that people can use to not freak out about all of what is happening and again all of what is happening that also continues to be beyond their control. The first thought that floats to my mind is something that I actually, it would be my advice for any time someone's life gets out of control in some fashion, whether that's because they find out they have an illness, whether that's, you know, these 
more global factors, whether that's more individual or more cultural, whatever it is, is to look for what you do have control over. We can be completely anxiety ridden by the things that we do not have control over and that are happening to us, right? It feels like they're happening to us. And so we, in fact, you asked me to try to determine some of the traits that are good for mental health and that are bad for mental health. And one of those bad for mental health things is to take on the role of a victim. I'm a victim of the weather. I'm a victim of global warming. I'm a victim of this, that, or the other. Well, I understand that, again, especially the less developed countries are saying to the more developed countries, you're the ones that are creating global warming and that kind of thing. So I understand the global implication. I don't understand it. I, I know a little bit about it, but at least on an individual level, what can I do and what do I actually have control over? And what I have control over is what kind of electricity am I using? What kind of car am I driving? So how am I contributing to the problem and how, what, I mean, in my own small way. And if, and if again, that is something that doesn't particularly make you feel better, then what other things in your life can you feel or what can you teach or what can you, what kind of nonprofit, what group could you join? If you feel like your own individual efforts are too small, then, you know, how can you surround yourself with like-minded people so that you have something to balance this fear? You know, for example, in the pandemic, what people had control over was maybe whether you believe it or not, let's take the people who did believe that the pandemic was real and that they needed to be vaccinated and they needed to be very careful they could get together with friends outside and at least have an hour or two together where you felt safe, but you, you had some control over, you know, you, you, you were socially connected, which is very, very important. So there were people who, you know, didn't do that. And I tried to help some people like that, that literally became, they just stayed in their own homes. They, had their groceries delivered to them. They washed those groceries two and three and four times. They were just paralyzed with fear. And, and so they didn't really say, what do I have control over? They let the situation control them. And that is what can really lead to horrible depression and anxiety and, and a, and a sense of being actively traumatized every day. That really helps. But now that we are talking about this, I would also love to explore the other side of it. Like what else would you recommend? What qualities would you recommend people cultivate in themselves to just generally have better mental health? I had to smile when I wrote this list because I did it early this morning and I thought, you know, these are really just good things in general. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote acceptance, courage, humility, honesty with yourself persistence and curiosity is what I wrote down. And then some of the things that I wrote down that are bad for your mental health are blaming, passivity, pride, sense of victimization and resignation. You know, those, those things that, you know, if we're talking about mental health versus mental illness, those are actually, you know, two different kinds of concepts. Mental health is mostly, you know, keeping your mind healthy, keeping your body healthy, keeping your emotions uh, regulated and understanding that all those things work together, keeping your spirit filled. So, you know, there's an analogy here in the United States about that it's a four-legged stool and your, your physical life, your spiritual life, your emotional life, and, and your relational life, all those 
and I guess your mental life anyway, just think of them at four or five and that, you know, to be balanced, you have to have all those. So, you know, and, and many of us don't, many of us don't have our physical health, but we've got really good spiritual health or emotional health. Some of us are doubting our, our spirit, our spiritual world, but we've, we have, our bodies are very strong. So, you know, there's usually some imbalance. There's usually one part of your life that you're doing quote unquote better than you are another, but how can you seek balance of some kind? And when you have mental, of course, mental illness is sometimes trauma-based. It's often trauma-based and they're going to be a lot of people who come out of what's going on, both who are who are actively involved in it and who are watching it, who are going to be traumatized by it. And so how do you, you know, that's a whole set of skills working through trauma versus when you have a mental illness that maybe you have inherited or has a strong genetic component. Of course, they, they are finding out all the time new avenues for what could be causing depression, what could be causing PTSD, what could be causing bipolar disorder. And it's really amazing what's going on in the field as far as the opioid sectors in the brain, the the gut biomes and how the gut is, is talking with the brain. And, you know, depression is not a chemical imbalance anymore. That's yeah. what I did two podcast episodes on that on my podcast. And so it's far from a, a chemical imbalance. So I think that that is something for everyone to try to understand that that balance is really important so that when things do happen to you or to someone you love, that you are, you do don't, you don't feel in control, that you have something that you can rely on your spirituality, your physicality, your strong mental sense, your emotional regulation, whatever it is that will help you survive the, the, the grief or the shock or the anger or the trauma of what's happening to you. And it's, you know, it's tough. Yeah. I have so many questions now, <laughs> but is it safe <laughs> to say that in the absence of balance, because balance, it can be very elusive. So in the absence of balance, is it like, can we draw comfort if we feel like, if we feel generally supported, can we, can we be like, okay with the idea of not having balance if we are feeling supported within ourselves? I'm not sure you can feel supported within yourself and not have some sort of balance, or at least have a sense of what it feels like when you do feel more balanced. Now that doesn't mean we always walk around balanced. I was off my game yesterday and I thought, what is off? Something's off. And I'm not sure I ever really figured it out. Then I woke up this morning. I thought, okay, I'm more like myself today. And I think I know what some of those things were. And they're just, I'm, I'm not going to bore your, your listeners with it. But it was, you know, sometimes we just feel off. But then again, we're also being affected by what's going on in the world, whether it's global warming, whether it's these wars and conflicts, whether it's worry about the sake of humanity. I mean, these some of these things are just so big. And, and again, I get back to, well, what do I have control? I'm talking in this microphone today to you in India, and that's what I have control over. And whether I'm a calming influence, whether I'm an alarming influence, that's what I have control over. Yeah, that, that, that's massively helpful. Thank you for that. Sure, okay, this is something I've never been able to understand. I wonder if you can help me understand this. And maybe there will be a warning in your answer. I don't know. But, you know, with all of these, like you, the first thing you told me as we, uh, you know, joined the conversation was that you are very careful of the news that you're consuming and where you're getting that news from. 
So we are, right. all of us are trying to do that because, you know, anytime you hear this news and you go into the details of it, like the numbers and the gender of the victims and all of that, you just wish you, you, you could go back in time and not know about it and just, you know, like you can just have general knowledge that this is happening. But at the same time, like if you've noticed on Netflix, there are all of these documentaries that are coming out that are detailing or even creating like movies around serial killers, around brutal, like unbelievably horrible crimes. And true crime is what true crime. Mm-hmm. What is up with that? Like, why are people enjoying those things so much? It, it, clearly, they love it. That's why Netflix keeps producing it. Yeah, yeah, that's a really. I've never particularly thought about it myself, but I heard someone discussing it the other day. Um, you know, I, I think we can be fascinated by just how, again, sociopathy and, and psych, uh, psychopathic behavior is, is uh, you know, we see it as deviant, and yet we hear these true crime stories, and I think that we realize, wait a minute, this may be closer to us than we realize. I mean, it's happened to a neighbor. It's happened to right. someone in our town. It's happened to the town right next to us. We we tend to comfort ourselves by thinking, this isn't going to happen to me. And I can't tell you the number of people who sat in my office and said, I comforted myself with this is never going to happen to me. And it happened to me. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I think we, you know, really when you think about it, Crotty, um, I, I've often used this example when I'm sitting in my office. I have this little small house I do my office in, and I leave my doors unlocked. And I say, you know, maybe some old patient or some body whose whose wife divorced them after they were in therapy with me, or whose whose husband divorced them, you know, are really angry with me, and they could come rushing through that door with a gun and kill me. Now, could I sit in this chair and think about that? And do decent work? No, I could not. I I push that away as if it couldn't happen. Right. Now, if I hear somebody's mad at me or has a has a vendetta, I might be a little more careful. I might close, you know, I might lock that door. Right. But you know, how how people solve these crimes and the clues and it it can and but we have to sort of depersonalize it. We have to think of it, I'm watching a movie. I'm watching something that's happening to other people, but it it would never happen to me. And unfortunately, that's just not true. But I don't think we could live life if we thought my my house is going to be the one destroyed by the tornado. My house is going to be the one that catches on fire and burns to the ground and I'm going to lose everything I've ever owned and my memories and everything. My house or my child is the one that, is going to get kidnapped or my, I mean, we, we couldn't function like that. And so I don't know. I, does that answer your question? Yeah, I guess. I mean, there's this craving to understand what is so bizarre to you. And mm-hmm. the only way to do that is to depersonalize it, which is probably what allows them to consume as much content as they do. Exactly. So, yeah. That, that does exactly. help me understand it. And I have to say like, this is uh, something else like on the subject there is so much talk about mental health. Like my parents' generation never talked about it. So now when I do, they're like, this never. is an issue? Like, seriously, is this an issue now? <laughs> so so they never talked about it. Our generation talks about it constantly. And yet I feel like they're not quite understanding the gravity of the situation. Like I, I know horror movies disturb me, but I, I still watch them 
and when I know that I shouldn't, I have interviews the next day, I have work the next day, I'm watching it anyways. So I, I feel like despite how much we talk about mental health, how to take better care of ourselves, we, we are kind of missing the gravity of the situation, how dangerous depression can actually be, how important your mental health actually is. Do you ever feel like that? I think here in the United States, at least, there there are many people who are younger that are looking after their mental health better and realizing that they don't want to be like their parents. My mother had a prescription drug addiction. Now, I'm much older than you. I, I will be 69 in about 10 days. And so, so my mother would be in her late 90s at this point. But she never, when she had her first panic attack, her doctor just gave her a medicine for it and and didn't say get therapy or anything. And so she became a prescription drug addict. I mean, she that's what doctors did back then. And, and I came along and I had my first panic attack and I went, Oh no, 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 I don't want this. And so I got into therapy and I didn't have a lot of support for that. It was like, you're doing what? <laughs> so, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go into therapy. And so I, I think that hopefully we're turning this around where, I mean, that's what my TEDx talk was all about. Even, you know, perfectly hidden depression is is a concept, is a real thing that I've, if I've talked about it. And in my TEDx recently that I did, I also said part of the solution is realizing that even the darkest thoughts we can imagine, well, other than hurting someone else, is hurting ourselves, is something we can talk about. Uh, suicidal thinking is common, much, much, much more common than people think. It's just that we don't talk about it. We are considered kind of crazy if we talk about that or not, or ungrateful or out of control, or you need medicine or you need something, you know, to fix that. Well, you probably do, you know, you want to address it because that's, you know, our lives are, our time and our lives are all we have. They're a gift. And so the whole talk was about, I really want people to understand that that kind of transparency as as hard as it is sometimes to admit to someone that who you trust, you know, sometimes I think about ending my life. That's the start of the conversation. That's not where you stop. That's the start of the conversation. And then you say, well, how long have you felt that way? Or, you know, do, does anything trigger that? Tell me more about it. And that way we can, when people can feel as if I can talk about this thing that is the darkest thing that I can imagine talking about about myself and someone just goes, well, you know, you can talk to me about this. It doesn't give them permission to do it, quite the opposite. Yeah. It gives them an emotional space to talk about it. How many times has someone told me, for example, that their parent made them, this is maybe a trigger for some of your listeners, so be careful. I guess the suicidal conversation might be too. The, you know, that my father or my mother made me sexually abuse my sibling. I've had that conversation with many people through the years. It's fairly common. And that, but they have more shame about that than they do about their own sexual abuse because they, they could see, I didn't do this. But then they say, but I did that rather than seeing they were doing it because their parent told them to do it. And it's a very dark secret that they're carrying around. And the whole idea about perfectly hidden depression is that so many people have secrets that they're hiding. 
and often hiding through this perfect looking life. You know, I, I will prove that I am not, that I, I will show everybody that I'm just fine rather than admitting I have this dark despair within me that I need to reveal again with people that I trust. And therein lies my healing, not this picture perfect life. Yeah. My uh, perspective on this is like, you know, to say the term terrorism is still not easy. Like it has a very visceral reaction in your body because yes. it has like mm -hmm. a, a gravity all its own. It, it, it sends like a shock through your body. It's still not something that just gets discussed anywhere and everywhere. Like maybe, and, and people are very like careful of who's standing next to them when they talk about this stuff. But I feel like with mental health, like there are pretty little posts on Instagram. There are nice little pinning pin boards on Pinterest. It's become such a common topic that even though there is so much more awareness about it, which is awesome, and everybody's taking it, like are focused on it, like it's a part of their life that they consider constantly. But at the same time, because there is so much like content around it, sometimes when somebody's having like certain thoughts in their head, instead of actually thinking, oh, this could be the start of something like you talked about in your TED talk even, they would be like, let me look up what's being shared on Instagram. I, I noticed that I'm like, do you understand what it means to want to hurt someone and constantly have thoughts about that? I've had conversations like that or to want to hurt yourself. There is something that that's actually very serious. You shouldn't you should seek help. Like maybe therapy would not be the first thing you would do, but at the same time, instead of grabbing a phone and scrolling social media, maybe you should grab a journal and write out your thoughts. Or it's just, that's what, that's what disturbs me about the whole thing that people think that there was a time when you couldn't say something like, Oh, this person in this family is uh, mentally disturbed because that would like destroy their reputation because it was such a serious thing. Now we are all very comfortable saying, yeah, he's a little, you know, mental health is not so great. And it, nobody takes it like, oh, what? What do you mean? And this is yeah, from the yeah, family. Yeah. And that's great. That's great. But at the same time, the flip side of it is people can say things like that about themselves, about others. And it gets said in such a like a casual way and then move on to the next topic and the next topic. This is serious, like saying that someone is not having, not enjoying great mental health. It's not like, oh, the coffee wasn't so great today. No, this is, this is serious. Yeah. Take, take That's, yeah. that's, maybe it's just my perspective. Maybe I'm seeing things that are not. No, I, I did, I did a reel on the idea that people look so quickly outside of themselves for answers. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll go see what, you know this influencer on TikTok has to say, or I'll go look at, you know, somebody, a huge influencer on Instagram. Instead of, like you said, sitting down with a journal or sitting down with a therapist or sitting down where the focus will be on themselves and that, you know, trying to understand. Now, I'm, I'm not certainly negating the idea that you can feel supported and you can have insight when you realize you read something and go, oh, this, this pertains to my life as well. I could, I could apply this to my life. That's very, very helpful. When I first read about enmeshment, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm highly enmeshed with my mom. Now, it took me years to not be, <laughs> but it was the beginning of an understanding of what right. was wrong right. between the two of us. 
so I could apply it, but the, the real change, the real behavioral change, the emotional change had to happen within me. And I think that's your point. We look outside yeah. and we say, oh, if I go do what so-and-so says on TikTok, then my problems will be over rather than saying, no, my problem is unique to me and may or may not be caused by the same sort of, or that, you know, what is my trauma? What am I avoiding calling trauma that actually is trauma? So anyway, it can be kind of complicated, but I agree with you that sometimes we, we dilute or try to dilute what's going on by saying, oh, everybody feels this, or this influencer feels this or whatever. And if I just wear this perfume, or if I just eat this food, or if I just weigh this much, or if I just, you know, whatever it is, I will, I will feel better rather than going deeper than that. Thank you for that. You just gave a lot of structure to my very chaotic <laughs> question. So thank you for that. And I would also love to share with my audience more about hidden depression, because I think that would like really add to the point that you've established. Sure. Of course. Of course. Now I want to point out perfectly hidden depression is a term I made up. I just kind of pulled it, but it's actually, I, I just, the, the gods were with me that day <laughs> because the term has meant a lot to a lot yes, of people. Yes. It even has sort of awakened people to the idea of there could be something wrong with this, yeah. you know, that feeling. I had a patient one time who said he tried to kill himself and he said, and he'd had three affairs which his wife was forgiving him for, and they were trying to reconcile. But he said people came up to him all the time and said, gosh, I wish I had your life. You just have the perfect life. And he thought, oh, my gosh, you don't know what in the heck you're talking about. My life is far from perfect, but it looked perfect on the outside. So perfectly hidden depression is, you know, I got accused by some Facebook folks who were just kind of trolling, but some of them were serious about yeah, that I was pathologizing resilience and courage and walking through hard times. And that's not what I'm doing at all. Actually, the, there's a certain thing called constructive perfectionism and resilience is very important. But constructive perfectionism is just having this sort of innate desire to do things you do very well. Maybe you learn that in your family. Maybe you come out of the womb like that. Right. And, and it's just something that brings you joy and is, is fueled by generosity and creativity and wanting to give back. Maybe it's your spiritual faith. Maybe it's just your emotional connection. And, and that's the way you, you have joy is to engage very much in doing your best and in providing wonderful experiences for other people. It is, it is fueled by those positive emotions Destructive perfectionism, from my point of view, is quite different than that. It is usually fueled by fear. I have to be successful because I can't let anybody know how scared I am. I can't let anybody know that I make mistakes. I can't let anybody know that, you know, what happened to me as a kid. I've got to cover all that up. So I'm going to cover that up by being very task-oriented. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get that done. I'm going to become president of that. I'm going to become, I'm going to raise the most money for this nonprofit that's ever been raised. I'm going to, you, you just, you focus on what you do and that becomes how you get some form of esteem, except there's a prominent researcher from Canada who, who said to me, it's like being on a treadmill where you don't have any control of the slant of the treadmill or, or the speed. 
And so you are on the treadmill, on the treadmill, and all of a sudden here comes this expectation um, from a teacher, from a coach, from a supervisor, from another parent, from a school, from I don't care what it is. And so you've got to go harder, harder, harder to reach that task. And then as soon as you finish with that one, there's the next one. And you can't get off the treadmill. It is exhausting. And it's lonely because no one really knows who you are. No one sees the real you. And that's what I call perfectly hidden depression. It has several traits, you know, being very overly responsible, carrying a lot of shame and fear about yourself, negating any kind of trauma or discounting trauma, uh, staying in your head most of the time so that you are you stay away from emotionality. Now, it doesn't mean you're not laughing and you're not engaging with people emotionally, but you avoid conflict, you avoid pain, you avoid anything that that makes you feel that you think, oh, I'm going to be down about that, so I'm just going to avoid it. You do focus on the well-being of others. You're a great friend, but they don't know you very well. They're the friend. It's your friend who you go, you know, I never hear her talk about her childhood. And I think she told me her mother died, but you know, I never hear her talk about her mom, that kind of thing. You know, you believe in strongly counting your blessings. I do too, but you, you, you are, it's called the term here in the, in the U.S. is called toxic positivity. You always have to be up about something. Yeah. You can never have a, a good thing happen to you that you also go, well, wow. I mean, I talked to somebody yesterday in my publishing house that's very interested in me writing a a, a, a a sequel to Perfectly Hidden Depression. And I'm really excited about that. And I'm like thrilled to maybe get the opportunity, who knows. Yeah. But at the same time, that's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a blessing to get that opportunity perhaps, but it's also a lot of work that, you know, it's going to, that's not going to be a blessing. So usually we we also professionally, we reward perfectionism. We like people who get things in on time or for time. We reward perfectionism. And so they can get real stuck in that. And then there's another thing that's really important. And the clinician part of me wanted to make sure this was a part of the description. You actually can have another form of mental illness. You can have panic disorder. You can have anxiety disorder. You can have anorexia. You can have a, a hidden addiction. You can have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. You can have those things. And I don't want you to think ever, oh, I'm, I just have, I have perfectly hidden depression because you could also really have a mental illness that you need to address. Perfectly hidden depression is what I call a, a syndrome. It's a group of behaviors and, and beliefs that kind of grouped together and you find them together kind of like salt and pepper. It's it's not a diagnosis. And so it's really important for people to understand that I'm trying to describe a way of being, not a mental illness. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. Uh, but what this is something that's uh, interesting, this point that you brought up about resilience. I remember having this conversation on the podcast with someone who had done a Mark Champagne. He had done a profile on Elon Musk. And we all know Elon Musk is like the father of resilience. Like he has really mastered resilience and he's a tough guy. Well, something that Elon Musk said was that he would not recommend his, like the way he works to other people because he works like he would sleep on the factory floor. He would stay in the office round the clock. So working so hard 
all the time and never stopping at all but you would not recommend that to other people but at the mm-hmm. same time with how the world is changing how crazy competitive everything is and i know like mm-hmm. resilience has its role like there is a part of the world that's all about self care self love and then that feels too much and then there are people like elon musk and that feels too much and then there is this conversation that we just had about hidden depression which makes you understand how serious something can be and that yeah uh, to a certain degree you have to be on guard about things like that like anything related to your mental health how do we figure this out like when we are like going to one extreme or the other when we are just being resilient versus when we are veering towards making ourselves sick I don't remember quotes very well. I, they tend to go, and, and Rudy Giuliani has become someone in American politics that he's really seems seemingly has changed a lot. But he was mayor of New York when 9-11 happened. And either one of his speechwriters or he <laughs> said, you know, I've learned today that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being afraid and then keeping on, keeping on, being resilient. So I think if you deny the fear, if you deny that you have feelings like fear, like sadness, like fatigue, bone tired is a phrase that my grandmother used to say, I'm just bone tired, you know, that, that if you think, okay, I no, I don't have those feelings. I'm, 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 I'm very happy on this treadmill that Dr. Fleck talked about, you know, that you are, you're not admitting things to yourself and you're not being honest with yourself. I've been very, I was very blessed to do that TEDx, but I was petrified and that fear definitely gave me some troubles medically before I did it. And so, you know, if I had only been thinking about the joy and the, and the honor of doing a TEDx, then I I might have ignored that my body was giving me signals that said, Margaret, this is too much right now. You know, you're not, you got to calm down right, about this. Right. You know, you're taking yourself a little too seriously. And so, you know, we have to be, that's why I said honesty is really helpful and objectivity in your mental health, because, you know, you can think everything's going great. I, and, and yet you're lying to yourself. You're, you're, you haven't talked to your best friend in three weeks. You're sleeping three and four hours a night. You've either gained a bunch of weight or you've lost a bunch of weight. When's the last time you actually had a real conversation with one of your children? You know, it's just these things that we can avoid thinking about. But when, when we're being honest with ourselves and, and you know, there's a, there's a school of therapy that talks a lot about, and actually it's woven into a lot of different therapies, but you know, am I creating a life that fits my values as a person? Right. And we can convince ourselves we are <laughs> until we look a little closer, you know, and, and we're more honest with ourselves. And so in some ways, that's how a good therapy can help is because, you know, a therapist can say, well, what are your values? What are you, what are you wanting to create? And you can say, oh, I want to be compassionate or I want to be successful. And so how do you define success? And you, they'll talk about that and then they'll say, well, so, you know, have you noticed that there are some things that you're doing that are really, when you, when you define success as having a close family and yet you spend 15 minutes a day with your family, 
that seems a little contradictory to you yeah. saying you want to have a close family. So, you know, that's what a gentle kind of mirroring that a therapist can, can offer, or sometimes a really good friend can offer, let's face it, um, if you trust. And so, you know, it, it's, that's what we can try to do is to check in and be very, very honest with ourselves. I'm someone who is constantly talking to myself. And I know that this is something I've noticed that a lot of people who are very hardworking, very focused, because they spend so much time by themselves, they're in the habit of talking to themselves and it plays into mm -hmm. a, a healthy mind, good mental health. But I wonder if that is just like this, because I've been doing this since I was a kid. I never had friends. So it was just something I got into, like talking to myself, being my own best friend. It was awesome. But not everybody does that, right? So do you think that it is something no. like it, I have? Not everybody does that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now I feel weird. But is this like a habit you would <laughs> encourage? Most therapists do, by the way. We have a, okay, it's, it's, there, there's, this, there's this euphemistic phrase in psychology called a rich inner world, a rich inner world. And the, the, basically what that means is you've got a lot of fantasies going on and you're talking to yourself in your head all the time. <laughs> yeah. My mom used to like, was, uh, my mom would take my birth chart to like these uh, people who read those birth charts and they would tell my mom always the, the same thing over and over again, that your daughter has a very rich fantasy life please tell her to get some yeah. control over it or she'll never get anything done. <laughs> they were right. They were very right about that. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like because of that rich inner life, I'm very protected. Like the outside world, like I have this ability to go into like retreat within myself and then outside mm -hmm. events don't affect me that much. Now then there's sure. therapy. I think therapy is the alternative to it. And it's like, the most awesome thing is then you're talking to someone who can actually direct you into directions that will really help. But so therapy is definitely something, you know, we all, we would endorse, but at the same time, talking to yourself, is that something you would encourage them to do? Well, that? actually, I, I, I think, you know, being aware of what's going on in your own mind, just sort of the backdrop of this chatter that we all have in our head, that's sort of giving us a, a play by play of what we're doing it, that that is good because sometimes that voice can be destructive and sometimes it could be constructive and so you want to be careful that it's not just heaping you with shame but i also believe a lot in journaling and in writing and getting some of those thoughts down and so because you can see it in black and white and it somehow makes it more real or makes it uh it, it just gives it something that if you keep it all in your head that that can be as you say sometimes you can you can yeah. get overwhelmed by that. Yeah. So I, I think that being aware of what your your chatter, your inner chatter, your inner voice, whatever you want to call it, is telling you is very important. At the same time, sometimes recognizing when it, I have some memories, for example, that I don't know, I'll be driving along in my car and all of a sudden I'll think about this really stupid thing I did or embarrassing thing I did when I was really out of control and I'll just start thinking about that and think, Oh, and here it is this bright, beautiful October the 11th, 2023 day. And here I am thinking about something that happened years ago and just sort of pummeling myself with it. Why in the world am I doing that? 
And so, you know, you, you have to challenge that, that those voices sometimes and say, this is self-destructive. And this, and if it's leading me to be a better person on October the 11th, 2023, that's one thing. But if it's not, then why am I, why am I, why did that pop into my mind? And so that kind of awareness is very important. What popular social narratives do you like not approve of that you would want people to be careful of? Yeah, that was another really interesting question. You, you, you obviously are a thinker, and and that that is wonderful. I, I'm saying something that a lot of people are saying now. Right now, one of the things that jumped to mind was all this self promotion and self comparison. There's an old, old saying: comparison is the thief of joy. And I really think that it is because we, and it's very hard not to do when you're on social media. When I first got on, when I first started writing, I became very aware that, you know, I was checking to see how many people had read my stuff. And I, I got a little obsessed with it. And then I thought, stop it. You know <laughs> Uh, be aware of it if one thing, but to be obsessed with it is something else. And that's ruining it for you because then I looked at somebody else's, well, they got this and I got that. And, you know, it, it takes the joy out of it for you. So that, that kind of very, what social media has done is, is lend itself to all of a sudden we know what's going on in the world rather than, you know, maybe a town next to us or something. When I grew up, maybe, maybe I knew a few people and, the town 30 miles away, but I didn't know too many people from there. I was mostly, it was just us in our, in our small town. And that was hard enough. (laughs) And so I think people, younger people really have a struggle with that understandably. And then, you know, social media can also, or a social narrative also can, you can teach bad behavior. You can teach anorexia, you can teach poor mental health. But I also think that some of the things that are, that, and you kind of touched on this, people are taking psychological terms like narcissism and they are, they believe they understand it and they begin accusing other people of being narcissistic or now it's one thing to understand that something has a label and that it, it, it has a name and that someone might be manipulating you in that way or might be that, that is helpful for you to label that. But it's gotten too loose. I mean, it seems like every decade we have a term. In the 90s, it was borderline. In the, in the beginning of the century, it was bipolar. And now it's narcissism. It's like all of a sudden everybody was bipolar. Everybody was borderline. And now everybody's narcissistic. And, not, and I wrote a post one time that says, not every jerk is a narcissist. So, you know, I think we, we're, you, it's better to stop and understand those terms really or try and to realize that to start diluting them and their meaning because you think you understand it is just, I, th- I think it's, and actually people who are bipolar or who are, do experience borderline personality disorder, which is a horrible way to live your life, can get offended by that. Because these are these are real problems, and uh, just because you're moody doesn't mean you're bipolar, for example. So yeah, thank you for saying that. That is massively helpful. Well, what do you know? We've reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today, for supporting the podcast, and for sharing your time with me. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show on whatever podcast platform you love. You can also watch the video version of the interviews and most of the solo episodes on my YouTube channel. 
Link is in the episode description. Now, if you've made it this far, you must love the content at least a little bit, or maybe you just like hanging out with me, or there was something in this particular episode that resonated with you. Or maybe it's all of those things. I would love to know. So if you've got a minute, it will be great if you can drop a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can send me your thoughts on the show via email. Now, if you want content that goes deeper than even the podcast does with a lot of real life stories, one-on-one -on -one interactions, or just become part of my tribe, subscribe to my weekly newsletter. The link is in the episode description. Once again, thank you so, so much for sharing your time with me. Take care and I will be back soon with the next episode. Thank you.